All right, we have reached Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. We actually ended with verse 20 last time. I want to thank Jake Dirksen for teaching last week. Uh, we got to watch live stream, and I thought Jake did a great job. I appreciate uh, these men that are, are teaching and helping with this uh, particular series. Ben Selinski is going to have next week and um, as we work through this book of Ephesians. But we've come to verse 20. It was the last verse of what we looked at last week. It'll be the first verse of what we look at today, so we get a running start. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, pretty simple concept. We start with verses 20 and 21, learn Jesus Christ. Now, um, that's not saying teach Jesus Christ, okay? I'm going to learn you. That's not, it's not saying that, okay? But, but I think it's interesting how the Apostle Paul talks about learning Christ instead of just learning about Him. We do learn about Christ, but, but ultimately what we need is to learn Christ. Uh, when we look at the Scriptures, we look at the big story that is there, um, what if we are talking about biblical worldview, the meta-narrative, the overarching story. The overarching story is the story of the good news of the gospel, and the hero of that gospel is Jesus. And so, you've got to get to Jesus. And you, the apostles over and over again are stressing the centrality of Christ in terms of our rescue. So, we need to learn Jesus Christ, and we're going to explore what that would mean a little bit more. And then we need to put off the old you. Put off the old you. It, I was thinking about, we used to sing this, this little song, the things I used to do, don't do them anymore. Things I used to do, don't do them anymore. Things I used to do, don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. How many of you remember that? How many older? Even some of the young, okay, good. So they're still singing it. Okay, I thought I was proving myself a dinosaur. But anyway, all right. So put off the old you and put on the new you. So let's talk about, first off, learning Jesus Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. So we're starting with this word, word but, so it's going to provide a contrast. So we're jumping into a thought process. That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. So we're going to learn Jesus Christ. Now what's cool about this word right here, learned, is there's different words for learning. This particular word is the verb form, the active action form of the noun disciple, okay? So, we're not talking about just learning facts and just instruction in that way. We're also talking about learning, learning a way of life. A disciple is more than just a student. A disciple learns from the master so that he can teach others. So when we're discipling or mentoring someone, we're not just giving them facts and information. 
We're, we're actually teaching them so that they can take that teaching and now transfer it to others as well. This is the way that the gospel works. This is the way Christianity works. We're to make disciples of all ethnicities. We're supposed to teach people so that they can teach others. And then the second part of the disciple is that he's not just learning information from the master so he can teach other people. He's also learning the way the master does things. He's watching how the master lives so that he can imitate so that he can follow that way of life. So, this learning Christ, um, again, it's, it's not so much an academic pursuit as it is a personal pursuit of like you're walking with Jesus as one of the 12 disciples, and you're listening to how he talks, and you're watching how he lives, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to teach like that. I'm going to live like that. This is what the apostles sent from Christ did, and this is how they spread the gospel. And then when we see this word Christ, remember Christ is not a name, it's what? It's a title, okay? And what does it mean? What, what is the Old Testament word for Christ? Messiah, okay? What does Messiah or Christ mean? The anointed one, okay? He's anointed with the Holy Spirit without measure. He is actually... I like, to, I like to refer to this when I'm talking about Jesus Christ, and it springs from both Christ and from later we're going to see his given name, Jesus, but he's the promised Savior King. He's the one that God keeps talking about through the prophets from the Garden of Eden onward. He says, going to come, he's going to crush the serpent's head, he's going to rule an everlasting kingdom. He is going to deliver humanity from this curse, the scourge of sin and death. He's going to deliver them from the domain of darkness, transfer them to the kingdom of light. He is, he's going to rule forever. His saints are going to rule with him. This, this word, this title, Christ, recalls all those centuries of promises about the one who would finally make things right again, the Redeemer the Savior. And so, whenever I see this term Christ, I'm thinking not just in terms of a name, I'm thinking in terms of what, what Jesus came to do, what He's accomplished, and what He's accomplishing that's going to last forever. So, when it says you have not, that is not the way you learned Christ, literally as you did not so learn Christ, what is He talking about? Well, the way that the so learning Christ, he's talking about what, what went before. He's saying, remember, he's told them uh, back a few verses earlier, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Don't live your walkabout life the way the, the, the nations, the ethnicities who don't know God, don't, don't live that way. Now, a lot of times, you know, people today, they think it's very modern to live in a corrupt kind of way, to, to be very free in all the kinds of choices that you make and in the kinds of sins that you commit, that that's somehow a modern concept. It's actually just a return to the old paganism. It's, it's a return to the appetite-driven worship of ourselves, uh, deifying, of, of indulging ourselves in things that are actually destructive. He says, Don't, you haven't learned Christ that way. If you're following Jesus... This is not the way that you live. Now, this is assuming 
that you have, and, and all of this is talking about our learning from Christ, you've heard about him, okay? So they would have heard about him through the apostles, through the eyewitness testimony, okay? There's a proclamation of the gospel. Our, our faith is delivered through words that are shared from one person to another, okay? You've heard about him, and you were taught in him, and this is the regular word for instruction, you were taught in him, so somebody told you the gospel, somebody trained you, instructed you about what Jesus taught and what Jesus did, and then underlying all this is as the, the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. Um, this reminds me of what John the Apostle has been teaching us in the first epistle of John. What you've been taught about Jesus from the apostles, from the eyewitnesses, the testimony to his baptism, to his crucifixion, to what the things that he preached, to the significance of his, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, these things that you have been taught are true. This is reliable information. This you can bank your life and your destiny on. It's truth. This is what truth really talks about. Truth is something that you can rely on. Truth is something you can run with. So, in a world that denies, you know, I love it that, you know, in our world that people like to say, well, there is no absolute truth. Now, think about the statement. They make the absolute statement that there is no absolute truth. Because when you say there is no absolute truth, you've just made an absolute. It's the one absolute, okay? It's self-contradictory. It's irrational, okay? There is such a thing as absolute truth, and that truth is in Jesus. And here we have his actual given name. And you remember that Jesus is the Messiah, and the apostles would spend their time preaching about Jesus. They would... With, they would go to the prophecies regarding the Christ, the Messiah. They would lay them out, and then they would say, now, let me tell you about the historical Jesus. And they would say, okay, here are the prophecies. Here's the historical Jesus. Notice they match. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Now, you recall Jesus is actually a Greek form of the Old Testament name Joshua means Yahweh saves. And the angel told Mary and the angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Yahweh saves. Why? Because he shall save his people from their sins. Call him Yahweh saves because he, this child, shall save his people, not just from economic problems, political problems, from their sins. Amazing rescue. And what's clear in this name, Jesus, is we're talking about a Savior, but we're talking about a God-man Savior. He shall save his people from their sins. And so, you know, as you're sharing the gospel with people, just the name Jesus and the title Christ, you can take those two terms 
and you can give the gospel to people. You can talk to them about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how Jesus saves us. So, when we learned about Jesus Christ, and we heard about him, we were taught the truth is in Jesus, then, then it's going to lead to a completely different lifestyle than the one we used to have. John eight thirty one to 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That reminded me of this term right here. You're truly my disciples, okay? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sinning is not freedom. Sinning is slavery, okay? So the new you with your new mindset and lifestyle is impossible apart from Jesus. You need a Savior, and we're going to see this, who can bring a rotting corpse back to life and make it healthy again. I mean, it would be even more than being able to clean up these art aprons. I don't, I don't think they can ever be clean. I, I don't think there's anything that can get these clean. Maybe there is, but I think it would disintegrate before it would get clean. Well, our sin, our corruption is so deep dyed in us that, that but for God, it would take destroying us to try to get rid of it because it's so deeply ground into who we are. But Jesus is the Savior from sin. He's the center. So we've got to start with Christ. All this putting off the old you and putting on the new you, it's not going to work at all unless you get to Jesus first. So Jesus is the one that does this for us and, and gives us the power for this new kind of life. So secondly, we want to put off the old you. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So, when we talk about putting off, this is, this, this is used of taking off old, dirty, stained clothes like these. Or if I didn't wear those aprons, like the clothes that would no longer be hanging in my closet or, or be in, folded in my drawers, they, they would be in the trash. I couldn't even take them to Goodwill. Okay? Nobody would want them. Okay? They're, just, they're just meant to be thrown away. Or think about uh, if you've got a really super dirty job, maybe you've been in a mud pit or you've been sweating hard all day. Uh, when you get inside, you just want to get those filthy clothes off. Okay? So we're stripping those old clothes off. We're, we're stripping off the old self. It belongs to our former manner of life, the former conduct. And he's talked about that conduct, how corrupt it was, um, how, how terrible it was. He's described the way that these folk once lived. And, and Jake, you know, taught us about uh, that as he covered that uh, particular passage. It is corrupt. And the idea, you know, it's corrupt. And, you know, here's something I've noticed about corrupt things. They get worse and worse. Let's say a squirrel gets hit on the street out in front of your house, okay? After a day or two, maybe, you know, maybe just 
not much more than a day in the summer, you're going to smell the squirrel as well as seeing it. Now, if you go out and check that squirrel every day, if some buzzard or something doesn't get it first, uh, if that squirrel stays out there, let's say the squirrel gets hit on Tuesday, you go and check on it on Wednesday, okay, it's not looking too good, okay? You go on Thursday and Friday, does it start to look better? No, I mean, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse, okay? It's just going to keep rotting. I mean, if it starts rotting, and it can get really bad. Um, I think I told you once about how I had a freezer that was full of deer meat and fish and all kinds of things out in the garage, and, and the freezer died, and I didn't know it for three or four days. That was really interesting. That was an experience. There's nothing like cleaning out rotting slurry out of the bottom of a freezer. Um, it would, it, yes, it's an unforgettable smell. Uh, well, that's the old life. That's corrupt. And you'll notice it was corrupt through, through deceitful desires. So, What's the connection here? Well, here's, here's the way sin works. It, it baits us. It says, hey, if you, if you would give in to this temptation to sin, you'd be happy. Kind of like the bait for fish or a fishing lure. And the, the fish thinks he's going to be happy if he bites on that bait. But the point of the bait is to get the fish to bite, and there's a hook in the bait. It, it's going to be trouble for the fish. We are corrupt through deceitful desire. Our desire for pleasure that is sinful is actually an illusion. It's only pretending to, to be able to give us pleasure and happiness. It's promising what it can't deliver we, we are tempted to sin with the lie that somehow we'll be happier if we give in to what is wrong. Every time we deliberately sin, that's the lie we're buying into. And, and it's crazy. It's, you know, our human nature is such that even when it's happened multiple times before and we know it's a lie, there's still something in us that wants to say yes, that, that wants to give in, that wants to go back to that old life. Now, some of you are really young, and many of us grew up uh, in a home that taught about Jesus. And uh, like, I came to Christ. I trusted in Jesus when I was four years old. And so sometimes we think, well, you know, I trusted in Jesus when I was four years old. I didn't have to be saved from that old corrupt life. Oh, yes, I did. I had no idea how corrupt I actually was as a sinner by birth and by choice. And over time, we learn the kinds of things we would do if we could do if Jesus weren't restraining us. Okay? And so some people have actually gone through that and have lived that out before God rescues, it, rescues him. Some of you, we've got a lot of children you're, you're thinking, hey, I never, got, I never got to sow my wild oats. I never got to go have fun. It's not fun. It's a lie. It'll mess you up. 
some of the most messed up people I know grew up in Christian homes, never did anything bad. They were like good Sunday school kids, and they decided that once they got to be 17, 18, or whatever, they're going to go have some fun. You know what they found out? It ain't fun. It's death. It's destructive. It's bondage. So look, if, you're, if you've been so privileged by God to grow up in a home that's teaching the right way, teaching you about Jesus, you're not missing out on anything unless you consider missing out on slavery, missing out. Okay? You don't need that. You don't want that. You, you actually get a break from all this corruption, these deceitful desires. And so our application here, stop clinging to anything corrupt. Strip it off and throw it away. If you think it will make you happy, you're playing the fool and believing a lie. So let's flip the board and go to the last couple verses here. Instead of holding on to that old corrupt life, we're stripping it off and we're going to put on the new you. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So, we, we see this new showing up, okay? So, this is new. It's fresh. You're going to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This is actually starting on the inside. This is not about like, hey, I've got to clean up my act. I've got to turn over a new leaf. I've got to add some more do's to my do list and more don'ts to my don't list. This is starting with the very way that I think, okay? I'm going to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. So, how I think, how, what, what I'm desiring in my heart is, is so important, and the, and the way he phrases it is this is something that's going to constantly go on. We, we did kind of a one-time, once-for-all, strip off the old life, but now we have an ongoing renewal process of our minds. In contrast to what the ethnicities and the Gentiles did, walking in the futility of their minds, verse 17. In other words, they're, they're thinking in ways that are irrational and that aren't going to bring them what they're actually looking for. This is a transformation from the inside out in the very way you think, the way that you reason, what you perceive, what you desire. Romans 12, 2 says the same thing. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into its mold, but be transformed just like a caterpillar metamorphosizing into a butterfly, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You have to start with what you're thinking about, with how you're perceiving things. This is why, look, this is why it's so important that you be very careful about all that you're taking into your mind. You know, you, you walk around the halls of a typical junior high, high school, and nobody's looking at each other. They're all looking on their phones. They're all feeding their minds with something. Okay, your mind, your mind is critical to your life. 
and, and your ability to actually live for Jesus. Be careful what you're putting into your mind. You're not being pressed into the world's mold in your thinking. You're being renewed in your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, the life that you really want to live, particularly now that you belong to Jesus, if, if you've tasted of the compassions of God, you've been rescued by Him, the life that you really want, that you're pursuing, requires that you be training your mind, you be renewing your mind through the power of the Spirit, through the Word of God. And with that mind change now, you can put on the new self. And that's, that's like putting on, after you've been in those old dirty ratty clothes, you've stripped those away, you've taken your shower, now you're going to put on nice, clean, fresh clothing. It's, it's not that you're going to now pretend to be good, like I'm just putting on a mask or putting on clothing. It's the idea that, because remember, you've already been renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is happening from the inside out. But now you want everything that is visible to match what's going on in your heart and mind. You want it to match what you've learned from Jesus. You want the outside to match and to flow out from that renewed mindset. I mean, think about the world right now. Think about the, the black eye, the humiliation of the evangelical church right now because it, it allowed corruption that wasn't dealt with, and, and the world knows how Christians are supposed to live. So they are just, they are just beaten up evangelicals right and left because of sins that weren't properly dealt with. Well, you want, you want everything on the outside, everything about the way you live, your interaction with other people, your purity, your, your ethical behavior. You want all of this to match the, the purity of Jesus Christ, to match the new you that is created I mean, this, this keeps getting at how miraculous this is, because how could a person change this much? This is created after the likeness of God. I mean, when God created the universe, He spoke, and everything came out of nothing. Well, a God that can do that can change you and can change me. He can take what's totally corrupt and dead and make it brand new just like he spoke the worlds into being. It's that level of power. It's creative power. And, and isn't it striking that God used his word to create the universe, and God uses his word, the word of the gospel, to change us. It's, it's miraculous in its power. And it's after the likeness of God. It's according to who God is. It's now, you know, we were Initially, mankind is made in God's image. That image was marred when we sinned and rebelled against God, but the image is still there. Well, God creates us new in Jesus Christ so that now the image matches the God in whose image we're made. This is, we're being restored to be more and more like Jesus. We're being restored to look more and more like God, to be more and more godly, to be what God created us to be. This is why this is why this is a path of joy. This is why this is a path of newness and freshness instead of corruption and, and the kinds of things that, that are so disappointed. Like Paul says it this way to the believers in Corinth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away, stripped off those old dirty clothes. Behold, the new has come. And everything from that point on is changing. And then he describes what this is like. It is created after the likeness of God in righteousness. Righteousness means conformity to God's perfect standard of right and wrong. There is a standard. There are absolutes of right and wrong, okay? And God has defined those. And so now we're going to measure up to that. We're going to be upright. We're going to line up to what God has defined as righteous. Naturally, we all fall short of the glory of God. Naturally, we can't measure up. Naturally, we're crooked. Naturally, we fall short. But now we can live in righteousness, matching God's standards, and holiness. And, you know, this is not the word I expected it to be. I expected it to be the word that has the idea of belonging to God, and so you're set apart to Him. This word actually speaks of those that might be in a temple, um, and, and the kind of reverent behavior uh, that they would show uh, in, in what they do. It's an attitude of reverence committed to fulfilling God's demands. And in, in secular uh, contexts, in secular Greek contexts, it would even speak of reverence for one's parents. It's the idea that you're, you're living in a way that shows a consciousness of your obligation to God. You, you're not… it's a worship… it's, it's a life of worship. It's a God-centric kind of living where you're, you're never forgetting that you are serving the God who has rescued you. And then will you notice that actually this true here, and we've seen true before in the earlier verse, this true modifies both of these. It's righteousness and holiness of truth, okay? In other words, this new lifestyle is rooted in truth, what is reality versus what is false. It's rooted in the truth of the gospel about Jesus in contrast to the old lifestyle that was rooted in falsehood, in deceitful desires. Think about it. When, when we live in bondage to sin, when we live in corruption, we're actually living in line with what it's false, what's a lie, what has deceived us, whereas this is living in line with what is true and what is beautiful and what is good and what has rescued us, true righteousness and holiness. And as I was finishing this out, I was reminded about how easy it is for us to be cynical about truth and how that's nothing new. I was reminded about a conversation that Jesus had during his trial with Pilate. Remember the words? Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. They've learned Christ. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate 
was a cynical old pagan who wasn't even sure there was such a thing as truth. But truth was standing right in front of him, the truth that could set him free. Realize the oldest fragment of the New Testament that we have, dating within 30 years of when John penned it, it's called the John Ryland's Papyrus, and it's written on both sides, and on one side, on one side of it is this particular passage. What is truth? And it's kind of, kind of the way God works, the testimony to the truth. We have the best attested ancient documents in the world. They give testimony, eyewitness testimony, who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, the life. God has created this life in you, but you must cultivate it through renewing the spirit of your mind to live out righteousness and holiness or reverence rooted in truth. So, to have this kind of life, we must learn Jesus Christ. We must put off the old you and put on the new you. This is the life we are created to live, and it's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word and the clarity of it, the consistency of it. Thank you for the way it points our hearts and minds to Jesus. May we live close to him this week, for it's in his name we pray.